Thanks, you guys. Uh, my name's Britt. If you came in earlier, I already introduced myself once, but uh, I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new at Sunridge, welcome. Uh, if you've been at Sunridge a long time, of course, you're welcome too. We're, we're so glad to have you. So the gospel is that Jesus Christ brought us freedom, freedom from our old lives. And, um, you know, there's no magic prayer that you have to pray, but you could simply pray that in your seat right now and initiate a relationship with God that you thought was so far from you. But I have to be honest with you. The gospel is free. But that faith that is started through the gospel, um, whether it really grows and deepens, is really kind of dependent upon how much access we give God to ourselves. And the truth is, there are just some areas of our lives that we're more comfortable with God kind of pushing in on us than others. We're in a series right now called Deeply Rooted. It's all about, like, what does deep faith look like and how do you get it? And uh, it's accompanied by a 10-week study called Rooted. And uh, this week, in chapter 8 of that study, the title of that chapter is... How does God view money? And you know, I feel as uncomfortable as you do right now, just saying that. Because I'm going to talk to you about faith and finances. And honestly, it's just one of those areas that we, we kind of wish God would stay out of. But many of us, I know that that's not true of all of us. You don't have to grab me in the hallway and say, oh man, you really preach that, you know. For many people, it's, it's a place of discomfort. Uh, I have a tree in my backyard that I planted in 2003, and um, I planted all the trees in my yard, and what I learned when I was digging a hole for this one is there must be a giant clay ball that owns a space in my backyard that goes all the way to the core of the earth right where that tree wanted to be, where I wanted it. And so I dug and dug. I dug a hole about this deep, and I just, I couldn't break through. So it's like this clay ball and then the magma of the earth, you know, somehow. And I planted that tree, and, you know, it just has never done well because there were, its roots couldn't get through. The tree doesn't know this, but it's coming down tomorrow. I have a tree guy coming, he's going to trim the trees, he's taking that tree down. Don't, please don't drive by my house and shout out to the liquid amber in my backyard, you're, you're dead man walking. <laughs> but it is, and that's not the message. I'm not telling you that that illustration falls apart at this point. Um, the area of finances in particular is a place where we've, it's like it's a clay ball for many of us. And that hinders how deep our faith can go. Most of us are readily inviting God into our marriage, into the way we raise kids, to, yeah, we want to be a part of a church where there's a bunch of nice people. But then there's certain other areas that's like, ah, you know, it's making me a little uncomfortable. But really, the, the depth of our faith is directly related to the access we give God to all areas of our lives. 
So today, I'm going to talk about faith and finances. Now, I want to tell you, it's like, um, I don't want to put you under guilt. I don't want to bum you out. I don't, I'm not here to pressure you. But I am going to talk straight talk with you today. It's, I'm trying to be as straight with you and as honest in humility. Because I have, I have weak knees about areas in my Christian walk as well. Um, so I want to do this. I want to ask your permission to let me talk to you about that today. Now, I know that some of you are like, so, so like, if you want to just leave right now, you can. <laughs> uh, so I know that, you know, you're not likely to do that because it would be weird and, you know, uh, but... You know, in your heart, you're either, like, open to what we're going to say or not. And some of you like to shut down. And if it's your first Sunday, I'm sorry, we don't talk about this. It's like, you know, come back. But um, I just want you to give me your permission. And if you do that, I'll, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. Okay, thanks. Um, but I, I want to tell you this, that uh, you... As with all things, God, you will never regret in your life doing things God's way. And so when it comes to faith and finances, I really have four things I want to talk to you about today. First of all, when it comes to faith and finances, this is in your notes, it's all about heart. It's all about your heart, just like everything else, whether you're talking about your marriage or raising your kids or your job, and of course, all things God. It really comes down to your heart. We say things like, you know, that kid's got heart. Or, you know, her heart just isn't in it. Or, man, they have such a big heart. The truth is, about faith and finances, if your heart's not in it, all the Bible verses, all the tear-jerking stories, all the statistics, it won't, it won't reach you. We have to start with the heart. So... It's not about your checkbook. It's about your heart. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, one of the four uh, biographies of Jesus' life. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus is saying, like when he uses the word master, he's not saying like boss, he's owner. You can't serve two owners. And what he juxtaposes here in this, notice, it's like when he says you can't serve God and, you would think, Satan, right? But that's not what he says. The, the, uh, the spectrum here, the scale is you can't serve God and money. In fact, Money is the chief competitor for ownership of my heart. Money is the chief competitor for ownership of my heart. You see, the primary issue for Jesus was not money, but mastery. Jesus is asking, do I have your heart or does money? Does money have you or do you have money? And that's the issue. It's not Satan, which may explain why we're, most of us are much more uncomfortable with a message about money than we are about Satan. Isn't that true? 
like just a few weeks ago uh, in this series, Deeply Rooted, we talked about the evil one. And I don't know about you, but I feel more tension in a message like this. Interesting. God doesn't have your heart. The rest is a waste of time. And it's just going to be another moralistic list of things that you follow. It has to start with heart. On the other hand, if God does have your heart, he has something to work with. It's why Jesus said, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It comes down to heart. I look at it like a marriage. When Cindy and I got married, we didn't know everything about one another. We didn't know all the details. But, you know, on that day we got married, we pledged our hearts to one another. And since then, uh, we have given up things on behalf of one another. And we haven't always done that well. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we don't give a second thought to what, you know, like, you know, putting one another first. Or, you know, you need this more than I need that. It's hard. And, you know, if you're a new Christian, if you have never been taught on biblical stewardship, it's like you may struggle with all the details. But just like a marriage, it does come down to your heart. And if you have that, you'll find your way. You know, uh, one of the things I've noticed about how heart can affect marriages is like, you know, people get divorced, an affair occurs, and you think, wow, where did that come from? All of a sudden, they're getting divorced. It's, they, it's not all of a sudden. What happens over time in a relationship is people wall off a little more of their heart from one another. And then one day there's just not that much left. It's about opening our hearts to God in this manner. So where's your heart? Secondly, when it comes to faith and finances, God owns it and we manage it. God owns it and we manage it. Starts with heart, but this is a close second. God is the true owner of everything, and we are stewards or managers of that. Psalm 24.1, the psalmist writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God owns everything in the world? Because it's going to make a big difference in your perspective on faith and finances. Does God own your children? Does God own your marriage? Does God own your truck? Or your surfboard? No, I know, I'm getting really personal now. But God owns it, we manage it. And whether I see myself as an owner or a manager really changes my perspective. You see, when you're an owner, you make all the rules. But when you're a manager, you answer to the owner. There's accountability. There's evaluation. And you need to be careful. Now, if, if you're a manager or, or even if you're an owner, you're a supervisor in an organization and you have an employee, a subordinate, or one of your managers, if you're the owner, and they come to you and they say, hey, um, this is what I intend to do. And, you know, I, I know you have this list of things for me to do, but I'm not doing all of these. These are the ones I'm going to do, and here's the ones I'm not going to do. Now, if employees like that in an organization, like, what is the word for that person? 
They're called unemployed, right? <laughs> because we answer to the organization. We don't make the rules. It's the same in our faith and finances. You know, one thing I've noticed is that most people pray when they get into financial crisis. Even if you're an atheist, I bet if some of you are here and you don't believe in God, I bet you you have prayed about a financial situation. You know, um, they're making cuts at the business. There's been a merger. You don't know if you're going to make it. You haven't hit your numbers in the last three months. Your union calls a meeting and you learn that administration is asking you to take a 7% cut and, you know, reduction in benefits. And then and it's like, when we get in that place, it's like, we're like, we're praying like crazy, right? God, help me, help me, help me, help me. But really what we're usually saying is God help me with my stuff because we're inviting God into the disaster, but we really haven't invited him in before that. We're really saying, God help me with my money. Then after the crisis is over, we're not praying in that prayer anymore, are we? We're like, oh, you know, never mind, God, I've got it. You know, everything's smooth. You can step out and go on to, like, saving the earth or whatever it is you're working on these days. I know that you don't have to mess with me. I got this now. That's really, for many of us, how we pray about this thing. So here's some advice. Invite God into your finances before the disaster hits because he's the owner. Invite God into your finances before the disasters hit, disaster hits. And I know that it's scary for many of us. That's a scary thing. Listen to me. If you're in your 20s or your 30s, you really need to hear me on this. Invite God into your life now. And then when you're my age, you will thank me that I told you this. I'm telling you. It will change your life. And on the other hand, if you don't, invite God in as the owner of all that you have. When you get my age, you're likely to have regrets. And again, I want to repeat, you will never have regrets in the things that you've tried to do God's way. So when it comes to faith and finances, it's about heart. God is the owner. Three, when it comes to faith and finances, we need to learn contentment. Learn contentment. Saying that way, saying it like that on purpose. See, contentment is a funny thing. Um, you ever wonder what you would have if you didn't know what everybody else had? Or you ever wonder like what you would want if you didn't know what everybody else had? Or do you ever wonder, like, what you would have saved if you didn't know what everybody else who had more than you has been buying? Or how much would you have given away if you had not known what everybody else is doing? You know what the problem is? We know too much. We know too much. And because we know what everybody else has, we do what? We compare and when we compare, that information makes us content, discontent and unhappy when we were happy before. You ever get something 
and be really thrilled to have it, and then you happen to run into somebody who had the same thing, only better, and all of a sudden you're unhappy? It's like, well, this thing's a piece of junk. Why did I get this? Like, it's all because we're comparing. And it leaves us in a constant state of dissatisfaction. It can lead us to financial disaster. And it makes us get all theoretical about faith and finances. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in, in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 11. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I think it's important to see here that Paul said he learned it. He, learned, he, was, he was raised by the, the, the most sought-after rabbis of his time, converted to Christ miraculously. And he said, I had to learn contentment. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I learned it, Paul says. You know what he learned? What is the secret? What is the secret to contentment? It's in verse 13. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Yeah, we quote it all the time, but mainly, aren't we quoting it's like, I know I can run a 4640 if I just keep practicing. Uh, I know I'll pass that AP test. I know that I'll get into that college or I'll get this promotion. I know that I can work through this. Did Did you know that that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, was tied to being able to be content? You see, the secret to contentment is not no, but God's strength. The secret to contentment is not no, but God's strength. We think, well, I got to be content, I just have to constantly say no. You might have to say no, but you're going to need God's strength in this world. How many of you ever sat down with your kids when they're facing a challenge at school or something's going on with their friends and you talk to them about it and you can see there's a clash of their culture and their faith. And man, you're just like trying to get a breakthrough with them. And you're like, and it basically boils down to a conversation like this. You know, that's a really big challenge. But you're you're going to need to take a stand here because you are a Christian. And in order to do that, you're really going to need God's strength. You may even pray for them at that point. And it's all about that they find the strength in God to, to tackle, to overcome, to deal with, to endure the thing that they're facing. You know, when it comes to contentment, I think a lot of us could use a sit down with ourselves to remind ourselves that we need God's strength if we're going to be content. And if I'm going to place myself under God's leadership with my faith and my finances, I will need his strength because I'm going to encounter big challenges. Now, once you've considered these three, that it's, get your heart in the right place. Acknowledge that God owns everything that you have. And rely on God's strength to be content. 
now you're ready to take a big step. When it comes to faith and finances, we need to establish priorities and live them. You can't establish priorities without doing the other three first. So if your heart's not in the right place, if you're not yet in a place where you, know, you feel like God owns all that you have, and if you can't rely on God's strength daily to find contentment in the situation that he's placed you in, then you're really not ready to set your priorities. But if you have, I'm going to give you three priorities that I think that you can follow to accomplish what the other three lead you to. And here they are. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. You guys okay? Wave at me. Oh, some of you aren't waving. I see it. Some of you are waving in a strange way. I <laughs> Give first. You know, let me talk to you if I've made you uncomfortable with that statement. Um, let me give you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Because there's a lot of great things to buy. There is. There's a lot of great vacations to take, a lot of places to see, a lot of things that you could have. And they're wonderful. And I want them as bad as you. So that's a really good reason not to. And again, this is one of those things that we're about our faith that doesn't always line up with our desires. You know, like we aspire to deep faith. But this is a place where it gets tougher. And I, I'm right there with you. It doesn't naturally flow to align my decisions with um, my beliefs here. You know, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, first fruits is a, is a way in the Old Testament that the Hebrew people, when they whatever their product was that they were producing, whether it's vegetables or fruit or animals, they gave the first tenth of that to, God, to the temple. That's the first fruits concept that's coming through here. What's interesting here is this is coming out of the book of wisdom. This is not the book of law. This is not like a legal statement to you, like follow the law. This is coming out of, this is the wise thing to do, to honor the Lord with your first fruits. And some of you would ask, well, is that what the Bible says? Does it say I should give 10%? Um, well, actually, in the Old Testament, it was about 23%. But there are complications of that that we've talked about here before. Um, but honestly, in the New Testament, the Bible doesn't say 10%. And Paul had uh, lots of opportunity to do that. Is it true that the concept of the 10th being Representative of the whole, yes, that's throughout the New Testament. But in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, and he's talking about giving, and he says this, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God gives a cheerful give, loves a cheerful giver. So Paul had every opportunity there to say it's 10%. Give 10%. Instead, he said, you should give how God has led you. 
And whatever that number is, whatever that percentage is, you shouldn't give it because the preacher taught on it this week and he's like looking at you. And you should be able to do it cheerfully. Now, what you should notice on that is that if there was like a drop down, you know, on Paul's tablet, you know, it's like, okay, I didn't say 10%, so what, is there 1%, is 2%, 3%? There is no, that's not on the drawdown. But you know what isn't on the drop down? Don't give it all. Paul assumes, as a believer, that you're giving. When you give, give like this. So some people would ask, maybe you're not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> like how? how? What should I do? Pick a, pick a number. Pick a percentage and stick with it. Make it sustainable for you. But start. Get started now, especially if you're younger. Start now. You think If you're thinking one day I'm going to give to my church when I have a lot of money, you won't do it. The numbers just get bigger, I'm telling you. 2% of one thing, 5% of another, 10% of something, when you're in your 40s and your peak earning years, it's a lot bigger number than when you're 19. We have, we have digital giving here. You can give through push pay. There's, there's just no limit to the way that people can give here. If you don't trust yourself, put it on auto payment. We have, a, we have an app called uh, push pay, and um, it's really simple to give. Now, I don't, I don't like to do that. I like to hit give. I don't know about you, but I like hitting that give button. Give first. The hardest step will be the first step. Just starting will be your hardest step. It's like kids. Your first kid is the hardest. Sorry for any kids that are, that are here, but like you remember, your life was pretty free and easy before you had children. It's like your friends called up, it's 10 o'clock, you want to go to the show? Yeah, let's go to the show. Hey, we're going to Santa Barbara this week, you want to go? Yeah, I want to go. And then you've got this beautiful little baby. And all of a sudden your friends are calling, like, no, I can't go. Why? Boom, ball and chain. I have a kid. My life is jacked. And I've noticed, like, you know, how much that messes with some of our younger couples. We've had a lot of babies here, and I've seen you struggle, and I remember when we struggled. And then once you have one, it gets easier. Number two, you don't even notice they're there almost, <laughs> you know? And then, then you go to three. Now that jacks your life again, I got to say. Because there's no more man-on-man coverage. Everything is zoned, and you got to get a van. You got to, you know, get the bigger house. It's, it doesn't fit. First step's the hardest. Where should I give, Britt? You know, you should give where your passion is, but you should give to your church first. I'm going to shoot real square with you here. I love you guys. And if you're a skeptic, if you're new to Christianity, if you're brand new in our church, you, you know, just ignore what I'm saying. This isn't for you. But if, you're, if this is your church, you should be giving to your church. This is a place where God is taking care of you. This is a place where you send your children to children's ministry. This is a place where 
your kids have the benefit of high school and junior high pastors. This is where you come and there's a building and there's chairs to sit in and air conditioning and heat. And you get to hear riveting sermons every week. <laughs> this is your church. Um, and I've heard in, in my many years of ministry experience, I've heard all kinds of excuses for that. It's like, well, I give it elsewhere because I believe more in their ministry. You know what? If you're a Christian and this is your church, that's total baloney. It is. Try that with your soccer team. Tell your kid's soccer team league that, you know, my kid is in this league, but I just want you to know I'm going to be sending my money to the other soccer league because I like them better. Do that with your mortgage. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, Bank of America, I really like Wells Fargo, so I just want you to know I'll be sending my mortgage to them. It doesn't make biblical sense, and it doesn't make logical sense. Give first, set a percentage, be consistent, and give to your church first. Secondly, and we'll, we'll go fast here, uh, save second, right? Save second. Proverbs twenty-one twenty: in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Basically, you should be saving. You think you can't afford it, but you can be putting something away. If you have a 401k and a match, you, you, you should be doing that. I promise you, you will not get to the end of your working life and say, I saved too much money. <laughs> you can't overdo it. And this is a place where, for me, autosave was the best way. I had them put money, whatever I could save, they put that away before I could ever touch it because I could not be trusted with that. There's always something that I could buy. So the key here in giving and saving is to be consistent and constantly keep pace with what God is doing in your life by saving and giving more. Lastly, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. If you want to live in complete freedom, follow this plan. You know, uh, when Cindy and I were first married, um, we basically lived hand to mouth. I was in the ministry then. And, um, you know, we would go out and on a date, and I always felt guilty when we would spend money. I didn't know for sure. Did, did we really have this money? I'd just spend it. Did, could I, can we really afford two bean burritos at Taco Bell? I don't know. Might, maybe not. But once you give first and save second, there's freedom in that. Many of you have gone to Financial Peace University. You've learned the envelope method, and that's a great method because, like, you, you, you establish categories for where things are going, and it's like you've taken care of what you need to take care of, and now you can spend that money without, without worry, without anxiety because you know that you've taken care of the other things. This changed my family's life, not my life, not just my life, not my married life, but it changed my entire family life by following that. You know, it, it has to be in this order because it, it, or it won't work. If you save first, you'll end up a hoarder. If you live first, 
you'll never save and you'll never give. And living like that is really living like there is no God. You guys okay? So deep faith is the result of allowing God access to every area of our lives so that those roots can reach out in every part of our life. But when we block areas, whether it's my marriage or my finances or my business, like we're stunting the growth of faith in our lives. And that's why a conversation about faith and finances go together. You know, Matt, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus is quoted as saying this, Matthew 6, 33. You might know this. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteous, righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. And that's kind of like the, the overarching thought to a life of faith. That if we place ourselves in, in God's hands and trust him, everything else will fall into place. Those of you that have done that, you know that that is true. Those of you that haven't or you're kind of on the edge and you, like, I encourage you to try it. Try to step out in faith and give, give God access to every part of your life and see what he does. See if he doesn't take care of you. You know, God doesn't ask us to be amazing at this. He just asks us to be faithful to be faithful. Let's pray.